Welcome back. I hope that you've all had a good week. We have a special guest with us today. We have Professor Maria Framarp from the Department of Religion Studies at UJ. She's also a priest in our diocese, uh, my mentor, my friend. What else would we say about her, Mo? She's just awesome, right? She's Everybody knows her already. That, that's really what you have to remember. And, and she's changing the world one person at a time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hi, Maria, and welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's so awesome to be with everybody. And a big shout out to all the young people that are keeping going in these amazingly difficult times. Yeah, they pretty are amazingly difficult. Um, so, Maria, the reason why we asked you onto these podcasts is because um, you have done a lot of research in terms of women in churches, but different types of churches. And last week we had a conversation about how the Bible hasn't really been that good to women. And we've also spoken on our other um, podcast channel, we spoke about how children need to learn uh, literally, uh, not figur figuratively, but literally with the Bible in, in terms of how they think and develop. And I think in terms of how we see God and the image of God, that also plays a part. So could we ask you to start with just giving a little bit of a breakdown on some of the research that you've done? Okay, so I've done three different types of research uh, into three different churches. The first was research into Pentecostal charismatic churches, um, specifically what was then called His People and is now All Nations, and Grace Bible Church. Then I did research with a team of honors students um, into the ZCC Church. And we were actually incredibly fortunate because we actually got to go to Moria, some of our um, informants sorry, with some of our informants, which is very unusual because it's very difficult to get into Moria. That is the main church headquarters for um, the ZCC Church. ZCC Church are the people that wear the star with the green um, ribbon that many of you have seen. And then we did some very interesting research into the Mother's Union. Um, and so I'm going to talk about all three of these different churches and I'm going to pick up on some of the overlaps and then also some of the differences that we see in these different communities. Yeah, that, that sounds good because, I mean, the majority of our listeners are probably from the Anglican Church. Um, and often we look at other churches and say that we're better. But would you say that we are in terms of women's and rights in the church? So in the Anglican Church, one of the things that's really interesting is how divided we are. So... Our churches in different geographical localities tend to be quite different. We all have the prayer book and we all have the same rituals. We have a lot of similar songs, but our cultures tend to be quite different. So in churches that are in areas where people are close to or have a lot of contact with friends and family members, that belong, for example, to the ZCC church, we start to see some of those ideas filtering into the way the ordinary members, particularly women, think about themselves. Um, in settings, particular areas in Soweto, um, areas like the northern suburbs that are close to, for example, a church like All Nations, um, 
we see how people have friends that go to those churches and how some of the dynamics, theology and thinking of those churches infiltrate how people think about their own Christianities. So what are some of those uh, markers or ideas that have come out of those things? Okay, so what's very interesting with particularly um, more conservative communities across the Anglican ZCC and Pentecostal Charismatic is that women tend to read the Bible literally and then they tend to understand themselves and their role as Christian women according to that. So one of the famous passages in the Old Testament is Proverbs 31, and it talks about the woman of valor or the really good woman. This is very, very popular in all Pentecostal charismatic churches. If you go to come books, you'll see lots and lots of um, mugs and Bible covers and all sorts of other things that draw on this particular piece of scripture. And what uh, Proverbs 31 says is that the ideal woman wakes up before the rest of her household. She assigns all her staff their jobs for the day. She goes to the market. She makes money for the family. She comes home. She's a wonderful wife. She cooks. She cleans. She looks after everybody. And she goes to bed after the rest of the household is finished for the day. Very nice, quick summary. This woman is very pious. She prays um, throughout the day for her family and she holds her family together. And living in South Africa, we can really resonate with this. We all know many women in our lives who are exactly like this. But the problem with a passage of scripture like this is that it's actually quite abusive of women on a particular level. Why should the woman wake up before everybody else in the household? Why should the woman be going into the marketplace making the money? Why should she be working in the marketplace, coming home, doing the cooking, helping the children and going to bed, going to bed after everybody else? Who takes care of this woman? There's nothing like that in the passage. But we hold this passage up to be an amazing ideal. What we why, why do you think we... Sorry, Maria, yeah, why, why exactly. do you think we do that? So what we forget is that this particular passage is part of wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature is really literature that sets up the idea of the Pharisaic man. In other words, the Jewish man who is a leader of a Jewish community. And we have in very orthodox forms of Judaism, like, for example, types of Hasidic Judaism, where the women actually go out and work and all the men do is study scripture. So this particular passage was actually about setting up this idea that if your husband is spending all his days studying the wisdom literature and being a religious leader in the community, the type of wife that he needs is somebody who is going to run the household and show her commitment to God, not through her prayers necessarily, and very importantly, not through her attendance at shul or temple, but through her hard work in the family. And so the religious work of the family is divided between the wife who takes care of the physical needs of the family 
and the husband who takes care of the spiritual needs of the family. What we have done in reading this very um, provocative and encouraging and inspiring um, passage of scripture is pile everything onto the woman. So now the woman must be the spiritual head of the family, the economic head of the family, the emotional head of the family, and anybody living in lockdown will feel as though this is really speaking to them because most women are feeling as though, you know, they are the um, timekeepers of the family, the um, dispute resolution managers, the, you know, um, motivational speakers of the family, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very much like this passage. So, Maria, can I um, just come in here and um, play devil's advocate for a little bit? Uh, do you not think maybe that this is a passage that should be quite strongly directed to our church leaders and people within our actual church ministry who are either in a relationship or who are with a partner where you're kind of almost in a way expected to have your partner doing as much of the church work as you're doing as well. But in essence, that's not really what that passage is saying. That is a fantastic comment, Mo. And it's actually a point my husband and I have had conversations about. Because how do you go into ministry without your spouse actually taking on half the ministry with you and for you. And this seems, yes. the, the, you know, the really big challenges. And from my background in religion studies, particularly Old Testament, which is, you know, really my big passion, um, I've said to my husband, actually, let's look at this particular passage. I do the spiritual work. You do the homework. In other words, in our family setup, my husband does the grocery shopping to alleviate that from me because yes. his way of supporting my ministry. So he doesn't support I, my ministry by also running a Bible study or by coming <laughs> to a single service at church. He yes. supports my ministry as the woman of valor supports her husband's ministry by enabling the household to run. It's very difficult for many parishioners to, to really appreciate. But, you know, if you, you're working for God, it doesn't mean that, you know, miraculously the housework is done and the groceries are bought, etc. I think that's what um, almost in a way a lot of parishioners uh, expect is that, you know, the... The, the the priest the the priest's wife or husband will always just be there you, you'll always see the two of them together you know the, the one will do sunday school while the other one does the service on a sunday um which doesn't really give a lot of time for the rest of the family and then you get that exact kind of um priest's child uh, that we talk about yes. we're like oh but have you met priest's children and what they're like Exactly. That's because I, I kind of want to debate with that. I mean, I don't know about you, Maria, but I know that Mole doesn't get as much, I want to use the word flack, as I think your wife, Mo, will get about not being at church because she's a woman and you're a man. And because I'm the woman, there is this sort of expectation of me to do everything. So my husband doesn't necessarily get the same um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, flack. That a word, woman yeah. would have got a woman would have got for not being at church. So I think there is still a double standard with spouses as well. No, so definitely. If, yeah, Yvette, I fully agree with you, but I want to jump in here and share some very interesting things that's come out of our research. Yes. Um, in 2010, I published um, a book on Pentecostal charismatic churches, focusing particularly on professional women in these churches. And a couple of years later, I got an email from somebody asking if they could please come and speak to me because they were having a major crisis in their faith and their experience in church. This woman landed up being the wife of a pastor in one of the big charismatic churches in Johannesburg. And her problem was exactly what we've been talking about. She herself was a professional. She was an architect. And yet the church demanded that she do all these extra things to support her husband. And basically, she was exhausted and had no energy left. And we started to talk about this. And um, I shared this particular passage with her, which was, of course, a completely different way of reading the passage, because this passage had been shared with her as, look, this is the Bible telling you that as the good wife, you're supposed to be doing all these things. Um, then we did research into the ZCC, and we came up with exactly the same thing. So many women saying their husbands are in ministry. They are not in ministry, but it is expected that they do all this extra stuff. And then the research into the mother's union showed us that in many, many communities in um, the Gauteng area, Anglican communities, the priest's wife is expected to be very involved in mother's union, very involved in Sunday school, and very involved in the kind of care work of the community. And um, in all these cases, we came across so many women feeling really burnt out and exhausted because their husbands are in ministry, which means they don't earn very much, even in these big Pentecostal charismatic churches. And so they are doing jobs, earning more than their husbands, and then being expected to be so involved in ministry. What was sad for me was that their husbands and the broader church could not see what they were doing to these women. They couldn't step back and say, okay, times have changed. Uh, the priest's wife is no longer a housewife at home, but is actually somebody out there in the world with a whole set of responsibilities whose core ministry is keeping it possible for her husband to be a priest because she is the one bringing in the bulk of the money. A church like the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, which is very known for the huge amounts of money they take from their parishioners, only pays their priests about 5,000 rand a month. So, a lot of these churches that are into this whole prosperity theology, the women that I've spoken to are saying, well, actually, a lot of times we, the wives, have to work so that we can have the nails and the hair and the clothes and make it look like there's all this prosperity going on. And then we're still supposed to be at all these functions, etc. 
So, so bottom line with all of this is that we, the church, need to start looking very carefully at what it is we are saying to our women. We are expecting women to be more than superwomen. And all of this in the name of the gospel? When you look at the way Jesus treated women, one of the most amazing things about the Eucharist is that it is a ministry that takes place in the home. Now, of course, now it has moved into the churches. But the way yes. Jesus began it was a celebration, a spiritual experience that women could partake of just as much and equally to men. It was something that didn't demand anything more or extra of women. It was in the place of women with the things that women have, bread and wine, the simple things of the everyday. Because in the ancient world, most people drank wine because water was polluted. And so people drank as little water as possible because it would make you ill. Are we doing the same sort of thing in the church now? So that was uh, Professor Maria Framarp from the Department of Religious Studies at UJ. Uh, this is the end of part one. Please join us next week for part two. I promise you it's going to be even more brain melting knowledge that um, she gives us. So stay tuned and wait for part two of this awesome and wonderful podcast.